Well, hello there, friends and family, brothers and sisters. Thank you so much for tuning in. I'm bringing you a conversation right now that is about a month before I was originally going to release this content. But the conversation is just so centered right in the middle of what is happening in public discourse right now that I felt like I needed to share with you right now. So uh, it's about an hour long, which is longer than what we normally share. But I just think you'll, I think you'll agree that I needed to leave this as one conversation. And trust me, you are going to be whatever you're going to be. I don't want to put, I don't want to get put too much on you and tell you what you're going to be, but just trust me, you'll want to listen to the, the whole hour. Okay. And I also want to say to anyone who might be triggered by hearing about violence, that some of this conversation can get pretty gritty. So I want to make sure that I warn you about that. Uh, also, just for those of you who are production oriented people, this is a Zoom call that I recorded. Some of the Wi-Fi gets glitchy. I know that. So you don't have to tell me. I know that it happens. But bear with me. It is worth it to listen to this conversation. So without further ado, episode five already. Episode five of Existential coming your way right now. This is Existential, the podcast that reminds us that we're human first before we're anything else. And from that place, we can hear each other's stories and experiences as we wrestle with issues of justice, faith, and culture. I'm your host, Corey Leak. Thanks for listening. All right, so today on the podcast is my man, Eric Butler. And when I started doing a podcast, this is one of the people that I thought I want to have a conversation with Eric so that people can hear the stuff I've heard, bro. So Eric is a father and a uh, he's been you've been traveling with your documentary called Circles and you've been doing what are called restorative justice circles pretty much around the country. So why don't you say what's up and then just tell us what. What are these restorative justice circles? What does restorative justice really even mean uh, as, as we jump into this conversation? All right. So what's up, y'all? Um, my name is Eric and um, I'm from New Orleans. I'm, I moved here to the Bay Area after Hurricane Katrina. Restorative justice on its face looks like a tool used by schools specifically to discipline or help uh, black boys with their conflicts. But if, if, if you dive into the work of, of helping anybody with a conflict, you're going to realize that the most important tool to that is being able to build relationships. If, 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 you're, if you're pissed off at somebody, me as a stranger, I can't, I can't make you not pissed off <laughs> with that person. <laughs> but if, if, we, if, we have, if we have a conversation and, and we're able to build a relationship from that conversation, then it's more likely um, that we can talk about the conflict. If you are, um, if you're a kid that's searching for something, it makes it, it makes it even easier. Restorative justice is actually a way of finding out what what values we have in common, hmm. and then once we figure out what values we have in common, we try to figure out how to use those values to get the things that we need from and and for our community. Oh wow! Dang. So, 
restorative justice is, and you've told me before, is a process by which, or at least one aspect of it is a process that like will get a kid who has been in juvenile reinstituted to the community of a school. Right, right. In fact, there's a there's a video on YouTube. If you go to um, reentry circles, okay. um, that video will pop up, and, and and it shows the way a circle looks at a high school when the kids getting out of juvenile hall. So we filmed this circle because we wanted people to all over the country to see the thing that we usually do with kids. It doesn't have to be that way. Um, mm. um, for instance, this kid. He was arrested for bringing a gun to school, and 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 I can tell you that at the very beginning he brought a gun to school. He took the the the, the gun out. Um, he took his book bag off his back and put it on the ground, and the gun goes off in class. Right, mm-hmm. this kid gets arrested. He serves ten months in, in in juvenile hall, but now he's left with society trying to make a decision on his life as a sixteen year old boy. And based off the the things that we know about him, we have to come up with a plan. And usually that plan is, I don't want him in our school, right? Hmm. So at the school that I worked at, Ralph Bunch, we decided that we was not going to look at the rap sheet of kids once they got out of school because we're human and we'll make judgments. Well, I looked at all of them because I don't care. Um, (laughs) But but the principal didn't look at them. So we we accepted everybody into the school, but they had to go through the circle process, which is a process that welcomes you into the school. And we find out what your needs are. And as a community, we stay in our lane in supporting this kid with his needs. Mm-hmm. Now, this kid graduated from Bunch um, with a 3.5 grade point average. And I say that to say this. Once, once you hear that a kid has gotten into trouble with violence attached to it. And, and if there's a gun, it, it makes it way, way worse. Mm-hmm. Um, your assumptions about that kid start to, to grow and become right. unrealistic. Hmm. Had we not bought this kid through this process, this kid would have more than likely reoffended, and he would probably be in jail right now. Wow. So normally what happens is a black kid or a Latino kid, black or brown kid, brings uh-huh. a gun to school, goes off, we on the outside look at that kid and go, oh, we know who that is. We we know, like, we've heard this story. We know what's happening here. And you're saying that these are still human beings, these kids are. Not only that, I'm saying that there's another story that we haven't heard. Okay. So we, we, mm-hmm. we, we, create, we create assumptions, and those assumptions tailor what we're going to do with this kid. And it's the exact same thing as slavery. They could never say that we're taking a bunch of people and we're going to make them work their ass off and they're not going to get paid. And, 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 and if they get out of line, they get mouthy with us, we're going to whoop them. We can't, we can't do that to people as people. We have to call them something else. We have wow. to make our assumptions so crazy that it dehumanizes them. But if we, if we hear their story, we, make them, we can make them human. And that's part of the reasons why um, black people couldn't talk or couldn't read or, or, or couldn't look, look, look white people in the eye. Because if you do that, <laughs> you, you, you suddenly yeah. become human to me. <laughs> yeah, man. Um, this, this kid, this kid, Cedric, when I interviewed him before his circle, before he went to jail, he described it as hungry time. Wow. And it was so 
it, it came out of his mouth so matter of fact. He's like, yeah, that's that, that's that's hungry time. So when pressed, he said hungry time for him is whenever his mom would relapse. Mm. That meant that him, his brother and his sister wasn't going to eat. So they needed to prepare for that. Now Cedric is 15 years old and he's he's got a little bit of mustache and mm. his, he's starting to turn into a man. Okay. So he's faced with a decision on is this the time he do something about his brother and sister not eating mm. or would they just starve? Mm. Cedric, right outside Cedric's door, they're selling crack. And the drug dealer is telling Cedric, I am not going to give you anything, but I will, I will allow you to work for it. I'll give you this package. You bring back my change and you can take care of your family. And when he gives Cedric the package, he gives it to him with a hug. Wow. And that's very important. And you know how we dap each other off, dap yep. them, yep. and we ended with a pat on the back and a hug. Yep. Cedric, yeah. first day selling crack, he gets robbed, right? So he's not a very good drug dealer. He comes <laughs> back, he tells the drug dealer, hey, man, I don't have your money, I got robbed. The drug dealer compassionately hugs him again and laughs and says, man, it's all right. You just need to learn the game. He gives Cedric a gun and he says, now you don't now go out there and shoot nobody. But if you have this gun, you can protect your interest. So mm. every day Cedric is going to school. He's got his gun, his book bag, and he's got his dope in his pocket. He can't leave his dope at home because his mom's going to smoke the dope. Can't leave the gun at home because if mom finds the gun, she's going to sell a gun so she can go and get some dope. So he has to bring all of his uh, merchandise with him to school. And one day the gun goes off in the class. Now, the question that I asked circle keepers before Cedric even walk in the room, what is the extent that you would go to, to feed your family? Mm. As, as a grown up, I'm not even talking about the 15 year old brain that hasn't developed. Um, right. and, and that part of his brain that has developed is the part of your brain that learns from your experiences. Right. And the reason why that part hasn't developed, because Cedric does, doesn't have many experiences. And mm. he's looking for us to fill in those gaps. And the drug dealer is doing a great job at it, by the way. Yes. We're the ones that's waiting for Cedric to come inside, inside of our community so we can kick him out. So restorative justice wants to flip that on his head. And instead of pushing him out, we want to welcome him in and, and ask him what is his needs. If his needs is food and we have 20 people in circle, I can, I can get $5 a piece from each one of these people and we can go, go grocery shopping. And it's practical needs that we, can, that, that we can heal our community with. And the only thing that we really need more times than, um, than not is the story. Man, bro. I, <laughs> oh my God. There's like so much that you just said in that story that like, I don't even know where to begin. I mean, I love the fact that you bring up in order for me to distance myself from another person and have them be other is to remove their humanity. And that's right. Be because the suburbs will remove people of uh, affluence and privilege away from people who still live in urban settings, 
that distance creates this space where those folks who live in the hood and have to take guns to school and drugs to school, they're not human. But I love the right. fact that what you just elevated is what human being, when they are faced with hungry time, mm. wouldn't figure out what options are available to me to feed my family while my mom, I'm 15 years old, while my mom is off doing crack. Mm. The, who among us would not go through the options? And at 15, someone embraces you. So they recognize your humanity. The crack dealer mm. recognizes you're a human being. Let me embrace you. And not only that, mm. let me forgive you. Right. Because you went mm. out with my with my stuff. You went out. You my went product. out with my, drug, my product and you, uh, you you mismanaged it. So I'm actually mm. my, my forgiveness towards you is to give you this gun and to further educate you. And again, like, oh, my God, this is so crazy. He gave him, the crack dealer gave the boy what he thought he needed. Like, he, like you got robbed, you need a gun. So that's in this world. He, and this kid goes to the, the normal world, which is school. Gun goes off. And now we have a picture of another black kid who's involved in violence and what's wrong with him. And the mm-hmm. biggest problem in the black community is black on black crime. Mm-hmm. And you <laughs> know what? Today, um, this lady who is police officer was sentenced. Which was sentenced? Amber Guy. Right. Yeah, she's found um, guilty today. She's found guilty today. I thought that I would celebrate, and I didn't. Right. I actually felt. I actually felt like. I felt like her. I don't know her story. Right. Right. So, right. so, 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 so to place judgment on her is hypocritical. But what I noticed was she cried a lot. She did. She cried a lot. Cedric Cedric didn't cry once. And Cedric's story wasn't on television. Cedric's story wasn't brought, wasn't even broadcast throughout the school district. There was a gun. The only thing that was said about it, it was on the news. Mm-hmm. Black kid brings gun to school, gun goes off at school. Thank God nobody was hurt. See. And that's see, it. Yeah, that's the headline. And all we have time for is that headline. That's all we have time for. Oh, there's a headline. And depending upon your view, you might have this sense of, you know, something really has to be done about those kids in the hood. Mm-hmm. You know, like, with the, because without the story, the headline, even even in that article, the story doesn't say what you just told us. The, the backdrop, right. the, the human element of how we got here, because there's always mm-hmm. a how we got here. And I, I told, mm-hmm. I feel you on the Amber Geiger thing, man. I, I that's kind of a little bit of a side note, but I don't, I don't want to move too fast past that because I also felt conflicted. And I told a friend of mine today that the only possible outcome was going to be sadness and anger. Once she mm-hmm. entered the apartment and killed him, there was no, there was no jubilee or joy that was going to be found because she's found guilty. Because at the end of the day. This is an all-around tragic situation. Right. right. And there are two human beings that were involved in this who both have stories. And, and just because she committed an injustice, I can't rob her of her story and her, and her mm-hmm. humanity just because she did something. Yeah. And, 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 and Corey, not only that, it, it drives a wedge in between these two cultures that desperately need to have a conversation. What happens is we go off into our camp and we say, finally, finally, justice has been served. That white woman goes to jail. And and, and the same thing we did with the O.J. Simpson trial. 
Black people went into their own little corner and we mm-hmm. celebrated hard. And we didn't celebrate for OJ. We celebrated because finally we got to taste the privilege that you get to taste all the time. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. how insulting is that when we're celebrating this guy's obvious guilt and make it a race situation? So it's like over here, these people are so sad because they want justice done. They want to mm-hmm. they want to see justice. And this has been and, and it kind of makes me laugh a little bit. But how could how could justice miss this? Hmm. But 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 never question the other side. Like oh, all of those times we, justice has missed that that little girl N- Natasha from L.A. When justice missed my my, my main man Trayvon Martin. When justice hmm. missed all of these brothers. That that concern is never in in our corner. But hmm. if one white person has to go down, and we celebrate because of it, <laughs> and I don't feel like celebrating, man. I, 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 and I thought that I would. I thought that I would. I thought that, in fact, I said that um, she's going to get acquitted. And I said that she's going to get acquitted with the hopes that she did. Right. Mm-hmm. Just that thing that we do. Like, I know I'm not going to I know I'm not going to get a bike for Christmas. Just hoping that I get a bike. For Christmas. <laughs> <laughs> um, but but when it came, when, but when the verdict came down so fast, it was shocking to me. I was shocked and, by that, um, too. And, and 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 I'm wondering, is she going to be okay? And that's another. Never mind. <laughs> I mean, that's human. That, that's that, that's human. Like the, the, to wonder, is she going to be okay? Is she is she going to harm herself? Uh, is she going to be overwhelmed by guilt? Listen, there there are people out there who would say, well, that's what she gets. I'm not one of those people who says it's what she gets. I don't view justice in in binary terms of you know mm-hmm. of of simply this is an evil person and this is a good person. Mm-hmm. Like justice mm-hmm. is, is about, and the idea is certainly of restorative justice is about restoring peace, an unbroken mm-hmm. relationship between mm-hmm. all human beings and everything that's on our planet. That's peace. And that's what justice goes to restore. Mm-hmm. And someone still remaining in a broken state, regardless of their guilt, does not to me always equate to justice. Right. Restorative justice, those two words absolutely don't make any sense together because we're, we're, we're bringing back to its original form equity or whatever we all will agree justice is, which is everything that we say, we would agree that justice is that. Justice is love. Justice mm-hmm. is forgiveness. Justice is, 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 is equity. Justice is all of those things. And we can agree with that despite never experiencing it ourselves. Mm-hmm. But but with this case, the unjust part of it to me is the feeling that I have for her. I would love to have that feeling for another black woman that made a similar mistake, but her story isn't told in the same way. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, she don't. Yes, exactly. She does not and get that's to be the seen injustice. as a human. That is. And that's the injustice. The injustice isn't that this, this white woman goes away to jail and I feel some kind of way for her her humanity, the injustice is I don't get an opportunity to do it for my sisters. Jesus. Because I don't get to see it. Golly, bro. So, okay, now you mentioned a word in when you were talking about justice and, and us all knowing what it looks like, and it's, it's a heavy word. It's a huge word. And it is the word that I think most gravitated me to you, and it's the word forgiveness. 
And here's what I mean why I say that's the word that most gravitated me towards you and, and most made me want to have this conversation. Now, bear with me. I'm hosting the podcast, but I got to tell a little bit of a story myself. OK, so I I came to a, a circle event that you were putting on a little over a year ago, and it was an event for former slaves and slave owners sons. Right. Mm-hmm. I get to this event and it's a room full of of. of Black men, Asian men, white men, and none of us really know each other. A couple of us kind of, you know, maybe had met before, but for the most part, it's a room full of strangers. And we're having a conversation about race and racism. This was literally the day after Nia Wilson had been killed on the train in Oakland. And we were all sort of grieving that, right? So we're having this yeah. conversation with with strangers and talking about things and, and we'd set up a circle and in the middle of a circle, there was a, a, a baby doll and that baby doll had news clippings and a bunch of all of the, the stuff that was going on in the world, the hatred, the injustice, the racism. And you said we, you wanted to counter all of that stuff with us saying, if we all somehow were to engineer a baby together, what values would we want the baby to have? Right. And right. so when we we going around the room and we were saying all these values and I think somebody said forgiveness. And when the forgiveness value came up, you told a story about the death, the murder of your sister mm-hmm. that right. I want you to share now that it's just it's, it's an amazing story. I know some people listening to this, you may be triggered by what you're about to hear. So I want, I just want to say that up front that like this, this is a real story and I want you to tell it. I don't want you to just tell us the story as, as you tell it, but I just do want to want to tell you as a listener and listening to this, I want you, you to be mindful of the fact that you could potentially be triggered. So listen at your own risk. Man, I, I, I think that we, we throw around the word forgiveness without um, ever exercising that particular value. I think that I think that we have it in us. I never I, I never thought that that I could forgive on a level like that. So I would say I have forgiveness in my heart, but if something was to happen in a particular situation where somebody in my family was harmed, could I forgive? And and and, and it used to be like the answer was an absolute no. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. I, I, I was living here in the Bay Area and this was after Hurricane Katrina, right? Our families had, had dispersed, so we went to, to all different places. Um, I, had, I had a sister that lived in that was in Texas for a while. One of my sisters was actually here in the Bay Area with me. One of my sisters lived in Florida. While while she was in Florida, she she met this guy, and and, and this guy was um was was a heavy hitter in in, in the dope game, and and it wasn't uncommon for my sister to meet guys and and and, and to befriend. Guys that was in the dope game, we, we grew up in a desire house and project. It's kind of a, a, a product of, of her environment, so to speak. Really, really pretty girl. And um, this is she met this guy and they they liked each other. And 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 like most relationships that she had been in, she didn't like him the whole time through, you know. And um mm-hmm. he started to um to distrust him. She started um to, to, to lose interest, get bored, and and, and wanted to, to move on. This guy wanted her there for the for the long haul. Hmm. What happened was they got into an altercation. And I didn't know this, man, but they got into an altercation the night that she left him. 
And during that altercation, he had he beat her up pretty good in front of the in front of kids. And, and and I was thinking that I think that he had gotten to the point of, of like no return. Like, man, I don't, I might as well go all the way. So so he gets to that point, and, and all of this happens in front of kids. So where do you go after that? He gets drunk and he falls asleep. When he falls asleep, my sister gets in the car. She drives out to the safest place she knows, which is back home to New Orleans to go live with another one of my sisters. And um, um, she had it all planned out. She map quested. Remember when the map quest thing was, uh, that's, that was yeah, the way yeah, you got yeah. the directions. Yeah. He woke up and looked on the computer, found out that she had map quested to go to New Orleans and he followed. When she got there, it was an apartment complex. He didn't know where, what apartment she, she was in, but he knew that it was the apartment complex. So he staked that apartment out the whole night. He even stayed the night because they had gotten there at two o'clock in the morning or something like that. Well, the next day, the plan was she was going to register the kids into the elementary school, which was right across the street from the apartment complex. So she wake up in the morning, she get the kids ready. Um, she, she's got a she, she got a kindergartner and a first grade, right? She walk them across the street, and and this guy ambushes her, he shoots her in the face, and then kills her right in, right in front of these babies, man. And um, I get a phone call at about nine o'clock in the morning. I'm sorry, I'm sorry, about seven o'clock in the morning, which is nine o'clock in New Orleans. And um, it's kind of strange. Another background to the story is I'm the only boy in my generation of first cousins. I'm the first of four. So I got four sisters. I mean, I have 15 girl cousins. So so my job, essentially, um, mm-hmm. as, as a young man, was to take care of these girls. It was kind of ingrained in me, man. Even as an adult, I still felt that responsibility. So when I heard, heard this news, I felt like somehow I had dishonored and disappointed my family without even mm. thinking the trauma that I was feeling. It was just, yeah. um, I, I, I felt like I was, um, I didn't do my job. I know that she didn't tell me that this guy was beating on her because she had known that my response would have probably been, me and this guy need to come to an understanding and, mm. and, 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 and a verbal one. <laughs> but this guy would have shot me in the, would have shot me, right? He would kill me. Mm. In essence, she was kind of protecting me in that way. I mean, I wanted, I wanted my quarter blood, man. Like so, since since, yeah. since that was the narrative, since the narrative yeah. is, I'm going to um, want to have a conversation with this guy. Let's make that narrative something different. And 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 that's the thing about forgiveness versus the um, culture and the things that we're used to. The things that we're used to is revenge, and we see it all the time. And here's another thing that I figured out about revenge. Revenge kind of feels good while watching it. Being involved in revenge is scary. But if I'm watching it on television, it's like, hell yeah, that guy needs to be dealt with. So yeah. and his yeah. boys, come get your boys and, 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 and we'll deal with it that way. And it's sexy and it's, and, it's, and it's all kinds of stuff. But when you're in that situation, there's really nothing sexy about it. Thing is, this guy went to jail immediately. So when he did that, the crime, he got on the freeway and he was arrested before he can get off the freeway. There, there, there was no way to get the quarter blood that I wanted. But in my head, I'm still romanticizing 
the idea of forgiveness. It, it's not making the pain go away at all, but it's kind of detaching yourself away from any type of pain, but having to come back to it, like a breakup. If, if you've ever been involved in a breakup before, it's not that bad when you're around a lot of people, when you're around your boys, but when you go home and those reminders um, yeah. of coming back in your face, it starts to hurt again. So the thought of revenge was the comforting mm. of not being able to deal with the actual pain. You know what I'm yeah, saying? Yeah, so, so, so he, he murders your sister. Right. I, it's, it's like, it, it's, it's hard to even saying those words, bro, to me are so heavy. Word. Um, right. And, and so uh, this it happens Then he leaves, he gets, he gets away, he gets arrested. Mm-hmm. You're sitting now with feelings of rage and anger and want vengeance, but you can't because he has now been arrested. He's, he's basically locked away in a secure facility mm-hmm. where you cannot get to him and you cannot exercise revenge. Right. Even even if I kill this guy, it's not me getting revenge. It's me exacting the same hatred on him that he did upon my sister. Vengeance mm. is a completely different meaning. Mm. Vengeance does not mean I'm, I'm, I'm going out to do the exact same thing that you did to me. But that was taught to us. So right. so, 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 so so we're taught that that an eye for an eye means if you take my eye, I can take your eye, which leaves both of us blind. Hmm. That was not the concept that was going on in my head when this situation was going on. When this situation was going on, I wanted my quart of blood. And I was thinking, even when I, when I came to the knowledge that this man had already been arrested, that was still heavy on my heart to the extent that I called police friends that I knew and asked them, could they get me in the same room with this guy? Hmm. Which is, which is insanity because they can't. But now they know that my mind is on revenge and, and they can keep a close watch on it. What I did was I assembled the crew and I assembled the crew that I knew would not disagree with anything that I said. And it, it probably happened organically. Being in a situation like that, uh, people want to, to make you feel better. And they usually don't have the words. Like you just said, to even say the words, somebody killed your sister, is a hard yeah. thing to do. So when I have my friends who know both me and my sister, they just want to make the pain go away. So mm-hmm. I said, I don't know how we're going to do that, but that conversation was, 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 was permanent in, in, in that situation. So we constantly talked about that. For two days, that's all we talked about. It never, it never took the pain away. It numbed it until the reality set in that your sister's not coming back, but the pain didn't go away. But then I got a call from this, from this guy's mama. Mm. And she said, my son killed your sister and I want to come and see your family. And I said, absolutely perfect. In my mind, in that moment, revenge felt good. It was kind of sexy. So I even said some silly stuff to my friends like, hey, I want this, I want him to feel the same thing that I'm feeling right now. So mm. his mom's coming. When his mom comes, y'all have y'all way. And my mm. friends, I got I got friends that once you tell them to do some uh bad stuff, you can't go back and tell them, hey, mm. the, mm. the bad stuff that we 
talked about, I don't want to do that no more. So, <laughs> so already was already locked in, and that's what he was. So take a five hours to get from Florida to New Orleans. So after a while, I start to think this ain't a really good idea. I'm not the killing type, and if I want to do it, um, I I, I want to get away with it. And now I'm feeling like I'm not going to be able to get get away with it. You see, what's happening is my sensibilities are starting to kick in. It was all trauma and pain at first, but it, as you give it time, mm. you start to, to, to be rational. So now my rational mind is coming and it's kind of the same thing. Like, and, and, and I use relationships to uh, parallel these situations. It's kind of like being in a situation with your, with, with your girl and, and, and you want to do something stupid because your feelings are hurt. And if you just give it a little time, your rational mind kicks in. And you're like, you know what? That, that, it doesn't make sense for me to bust a tires, right? Mm-hmm. I'm going to mm-hmm. end up paying for those tires. Anyway. Right, those right. are my tires. <laughs> right, right. So, 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 so my, my rational mind started kicking. And I can see things like my grandmother saying, you know better than that, right? Mm. But I can also hear voices in my head saying, nobody has the right to take something away from you. So this woman comes by and I know it's her um, because I've never seen this woman before. And she's about 4'11", man. And she's got on a, a, a muumu. Mm. She, she's got on flip-flops. She has nothing on under this uh, dress. Mm. And she's, um, she's scooting up the driveway. My heart starts pounding because I'm, I'm changing my mind. My mm. friends, however, they're ready to do whatever they need to do. And I'm, and as sad as this is, it's true. They, they mm-hmm. probably, they, they wanted, they wanted to kill this woman to somehow make me feel better. Yeah. Help, help make the pain go away. Yeah. She gets in the house and, and man, and, and whenever I tell this story, I, I think it's important that she, when she bypassed us, it was almost disrespectful, but it wasn't, it was just mm-hmm. that she had a different agenda. And mm-hmm. it wasn't about Linnell's brother. It was about Linnell's mother. She can see my mom. And regardless of the fact that my mom was sitting in between two of my sisters and this house is packed with about 40 people, these two women know that they have a connection. Mm-hmm. She beelines to my mama, um, who's sitting in the foyer. She gets on her knees and she asks my mom, she, she tells my mom, she introduces herself while on her knees. She says, I'm, I'm, I'm the, the person who born the man that killed your daughter. She mm. opens her arms up and she says, um, and, and I belong to you. Mm. And my mom, who's, who's not a Christian woman, um, but, but, but know the Christian lingo, and I'm sure that she felt something and, and didn't know didn't have the words. And she picked this woman up and she off of her knees and she tells this woman that she was forgiven even before she got there. Here's, here's the only two people in this room. And, and I'm going to equate this to a romantic relationship too. That was feeling the exact same thing at the same time, which, which describes falling in love. And I'm not saying that they fell in love, but I'm right, saying right, right. The, the, everything that was happening around in, in, in their mental, in their hearts, the people that were supporting their union, they, they were falling in love in that moment. And, and, and there was a silence all over the room. And one of my friends said, 
while this silence is happening, um, probably really inappropriate for him to say, do y'all feel that? And not in a way, it, it was it was like, y'all feel that? So mm. it, it was mm. kind of in that infantile, broken English, New Orleans way of saying things. And folks chuckled. But there was a seriousness that came back to the center of the room um, because there was a specific feeling that illuminated all over the room. And it was the feeling of forgiveness. And the reason why we can all feel that at the same time is because a reason to forgive has never been in our face that close, right? Mm. There's literature about reasons to, to forgive. There's theory about reasons to, to live, I mean, to forgive. But here is an example that is working itself right before our eyes, that's mm-hmm. giving us a reason to forgive. And, and, and that day, I decided that, A, I would never hurt a human being consciously mm. in my life. Mm. And if I do, I would ask for forgiveness. And I will always be open for the possibility of forgiveness. Mm. Bro, that, that, I remember when I heard you tell this story in, at that event we were at. And I walked into that room as a person who grew up in church, as a Christian, and somehow I believed that the only way that, or, or the only place I would hear a story like that would be in church, you know? And, and then I remember you told me, you said, I'm not, I'm not a Christian man, but you know, you know, when I, when I said, when I left and I said, I said, bro, this was church. And you said, well, I'm not a Christian man. My grandmother always said I'm be a preacher, but, but I think what I, what I found amazing was that regardless of what we call ourselves, the virtues of goodness that, can only come from divine nature are out there and available to every human being. You know, y- you, y'all in that room may not have been in church. You may not have had the language. You may not have been able to name it, but someone took your sister from you. Someone took your mom's daughter. And here is a representative of that pain in your midst. And you've got at least 40 people ready to do what needs to be done. You know, and no one took the action. And, and even his mom, mm-hmm. like walking into that space and, 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 and asking for it, it's just powerful, man. I just I've been blown away by it ever since I heard you first tell that story. Now, there's another part of the story that, that when you, you, you talk about going to the courthouse right. for his arraignment or trial or whatever. Could you could t- tell us that part of it? So, so it was a sentencing. OK. And sentencing. and and. and <laughs> We're, in, we're invited by the court to, um, and I don't know if this is all over, but in Louisiana, you're invited by the court to um, to, to face your um, accuser or, or the accused and, and, and kind of just tell them what's on your mind, right? My family didn't want to speak at all, and they didn't want me to speak. And it's, and it's kind of because of the, the way I speak. They, they, mm-hmm. they still had hatred in their hearts. And they felt like the forgiveness could be extended to her, but not to him. When the judge asked, did anybody want to speak? I said, yeah, yeah, I, 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 want, I have something I want to say. First of all, I said to the courts that if 
this is a it's kind of a asking of permission to take this man's life. You don't have my permission. I don't think that either one of us have that. We're not afforded that right to take somebody else's life. But specifically to the young man, if if he had felt any caged in, if he was caged in by the things that he had done, I wanted him to free himself. If my forgiveness can free him just from his mental chains, I wanted him to be able to feel that. So I extended that to him um, and I told him that I forgive him. This young man, they asked him, did he have anything that he wanted to say to the family? And he turned around and he says, bitches need to learn their place. Hmm. And in a moment, I was amazed because I had never, I'd never felt the urge to jump over the counter or go hmm. crazy. And besides the forgiveness piece, I felt a sense of humanity. And I don't know what to call it, but I felt the reason to teach hmm. an injection of humanity I, I, is, is the best way I can describe it. Yeah. Yeah. So are you so are you saying it from that point forward? Because I know now you're actively involved in restorative justice. Um, you do restorative justice circles with with high schoolers coming out of prison, reacclimate them to society. Was this sort of the catalyst for that? Like when you say no, that. I was already doing that work. Okay, okay, okay. And, 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 and that's, an, that's another important thing because we try to teach young people about forgiveness and love and, and all of those values. And we don't experience those. If, if we don't experience those values, we don't know what the hell we're talking about. Mm-hmm. But I think that in some kind of way, I was given these experiences to share these stories of what experiencing your values are actually like. What is it like to really, wow. really forgive? I, I can forgive you for uh, stepping on my sneakers. I mean, it's going to be hard, but I can forgive you for that. That's material things. I can throw those things away. But when we're talking about the ultimate forgiveness, are we saying I forgive up into this extent? And if we're talking about Christianity values, I don't think that Jesus used any of his values. I don't think he limited any of them. So he loved fullheartedly. He forgave wholeheartedly. These cats was killing him. You understand what I'm saying? It was killing him. And in that moment, he was experiencing his values and sharing them with everybody who would listen because he said to God, who's the only person that can forgive these cats, it was like, hey, man, forgive these dudes, man, because they don't even know what they're doing. And, and, and that is crazy because he had the presence of mind to understand that they don't know what they're doing. It's not them just being mean people. With forgiveness comes a sense of empathy. I got to find the empathy. How do I empathize with these people in order to forgive him? For him, his mom was the vehicle of empathy to allow forgiveness to penetrate. Does that make sense? For who? whose mom? The, the, the guy that killed my sister. His okay. mom was the vehicle. Okay. Um, oh, for for your empathy. For me to be able to forgive him. Got you. Yeah, 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 yeah. Bro, uh, I mean, you know, the, the thing that always amazes me when I'm when I'm talking to you is again, this is my own lens that I've grown up with, that the values that you are are living into, leaning into, that you are lived out to an extreme, certainly when it comes to forgiveness, like is a result of being a Christian. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? 
And you you said you have you have told me a number on a number of occasions that you're not. And that's what I find so fascinating, bro, is that you are you are living in a way that leans into a value that's beyond human humanity. I could understand kind of the mom thing, you know what I'm saying? Like she's sort of innocent in this, not sort of, she is innocent in this. His mom's innocent. Like I can understand, like I can understand letting her go. When you said told us what he said about your sister who was in the grave mm-hmm. after you extended forgiveness. Mm-hmm. I was ready to put hands on this man. <laughs> like I'm like, I'm like, like that's the human human nature to say, oh no, vengeance. And that like I have done all that's humanly possible mm-hmm. to embrace mm-hmm. And you you had another extra layer to go to that I just find like incredible. Well in, in, in Christianity, God said vengeance is is his. I, I think that vengeance has to be accountability. And he also says, um, I, I, the, the Bible says a, a, a lot about judging. I don't know enough about this man to um, condemn him. What I do know is he has suffered from a lot of trauma, man. And for him to say the words that he said to me in front of his mama mm-hmm. means that he he's grown up in an atmosphere that fosters that kind of hatred, which makes him mentally ill. And there's all kinds of other factors that I don't know. If I'm going to be selfish about it, I have to free myself. Because without, without forgiveness, I am the opposite. And I'm not, I, don't, I don't know if it's everybody, but I know if I don't find it in my heart to forgive, what I want is my quarter blood. And that's what I'm talking about every day. We'll never have a conversation outside of how can I get revenge for my sister? I will create a crew of people <laughs> and I will lead that crew on the idea of getting revenge for my sister. And we will have meetings about that. And it's a complete waste of time when we could be teaching people how to love and teaching people how to forgive. To, to have all these meetings about, about hatred is a complete waste of time. My sister is not coming back. Mm. So... So the thing that I would want that to accomplish is not going to happen. But, yeah. but, but what we could do is we could probably stop this happening from some, for, to somebody else's system. Yeah. And on the event that it does, because it will, we can maybe teach people how to hold people in a way of forgiveness. Yeah. Now, you did a, uh, you did a documentary on your life called Circles. Um, is this a part of that story or is this, you know, t- tell us about that, that circles, the documentary about your life, about uh, how it has, le- how all of this has sort of led you to being about restorative justice, which I think is such a big deal. Like we, we either have restorative justice mm-hmm. or we have retributive justice mm-hmm. where where that's that's just simply like you said earlier, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. It's like it's it's this reductionist form of justice that's only reactionary. Right. Where where when you're, where you're talking about a, a justice that restores and makes whole um, something that's been broken. Why don't you talk to us about restorative justice and the, your your documentary? When I, when I first started doing restorative justice, I recognized that it was all bullshit. Even even from the the, the title. Um, like it's called the restorative justice. So it's the restoration of justice to restore and bring back and make hold again 
justice. Justice being equity, justice being maybe um, love. You know what? Anything that we say justice is, we're all going to agree that that's what justice is. Yeah, I think we know what it looks like when we see it. Right. Despite never experiencing it. So we know what it looks like when we see it, but we ain't never experienced it. And mm-hmm. not even our not, not even our white brothers and sisters have experienced it because I haven't. Um, so as a society, wow. we have not. Hold on, hold on, hold on. We, I don't want I don't want to go too fast past that because what you what you just said, I, I need to make sure we all hear that. That if I haven't experienced justice as a black man, then yes. no matter who you are in America, you have not experienced justice either. You, it's impossible. It's impossible Man, because. Be, be, because we're all under one accord. If we're all under one accord, um, and, mm-hmm. and um, if, 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 we're, if we're all if we're all related humanly, mm-hmm. that means that means my brother is suffering, and, and and I'm not. There's no equity there. So justice has to be equity. I don't get everything that I want, but I get everything that I need. And if I got everything that I need, it would be just, and it would look similar to your justice. Yeah, 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 for sure. Now, to my white brothers and sisters, your justice is is oppressive. It's not justice. Mm. The opposite of poor isn't being wealthy. The opposite of being poor is justice. Mm. So if, if if we can wrap our minds around how can we be as a society together. So um, here's, here's, uh, here's the thing about uh, where, where I was going with that was if we can all agree that justice is, for example, equity. Mm-hmm. Where is the restoration of equity coming from? So, so we're bringing back to its original form equity. Mm. I don't, I don't want that equity. But, but what we're doing is we're actually creating the justice. But we can't say we're creating it because we both agree with it, and you come from a different place and you agree with it. So we're not creating that justice has already been there. It's been inside of us. Restorative justice is, is the restoration of a justice of our imagination. So we imagine what justice is and we create that justice for our community. I think that the, the film shows the circle of being in a space where there is the norms as far as like this, this thing takes place in the school primarily. And being a part of those norms, I have to build relationships with people that are not like me. There are people that I particularly don't care for, teenage people, right? I'm 45 years old. Mm-hmm. Me and these people have absolutely nothing in common. We don't listen to the same music. We don't dress alike. So the idea is to build a relationship with these people who are going to be disrespectful, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so how do I build that relationship? So this film shows how to ha- be intentional about building relationships and why, why that is important. It takes us outside of the school to my son and I's relationship where he's encountered with uh, a problem with, with the law and he, where he's uh, wrongly accused of a crime. And how do I deal with that situation using mm-hmm. restorative justice as a vehicle? Hmm. Like it's, it's, everybody wants to be, everybody wants to be restorative until it's time to be restored. And it's hmm. the same thing with Christianity. Everybody wants to be a Christian until it's time to actually be a Christian.
That's so true, man. It is when the rubber meets the road and it actually costs me something to do something. If it's justice, if it's Christianity, if it's whatever it is that we lean into. It yeah. is forgiveness. Yeah, for like, sure. So, so that, and, that, and that's the reason why I, I don't call myself a Christian. And I've I, 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 I've gone through the motions. In fact, I was a choir director at the mm. church. I was twelve years old, so I've gone through all of the motions. But how many people are going to show up at that jail to offer this man's forgiveness? Right. Um, right. My Christian brothers, my Christian brothers and sisters, will say has said. I can forgive, but not him. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's, it's kind of like a doctor saying, um, I can only work on my patients that aren't sick. <laughs> or, yeah, exactly. Like a, a doctor has to perform their job because they've taken a vow to do no harm. So it doesn't matter if the person on the table has murdered their family. They have to do surgery. It's 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 the oath that they've taken. And, and that's when you talk about us as Christians or or, or us as human beings. And, and, and really, even in America, calling America to be faithful to her creed, that all men are created equal, that we are about liberty and justice for all, like you said. So, so when you say, if I haven't experienced justice as a black man to my white brothers and sisters, you haven't experienced justice, you're not making that up. You're calling us back to what we say as Americans, which is liberty and justice for all. Now, I love something else you said when you said the opposite of poor is not wealthy, it's justice. I need you to talk some more about that because you kept talking. I didn't want to interrupt you, but my God, like the, the idea that because see, here's the deal. Sometimes people will want to throw money at poor folks or, or like, you know, or, or just wonder why. They're not doing better. But like when you said the opposite of poor is justice, it's so resonated with me. And hopefully everybody listening, I want us to talk about it a little bit more. How, how did it resonate with you? Well, here's, here's how it struck me. Because when I think about the poor, people who are, are, are truly without, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I think that they're truly without and and not always is it their a hundred percent their fault. Mm-hmm. They have fallen between the margins of a system that is designed to lift up people who have and to mm-hmm. push down who don't have. Right. So that gap isn't filled in with money. Mm-hmm. That gap is filled in with justice. That gap is filled mm-hmm. in with us saying, "Hey, you don't have what you need. Need I as a human being feel obligated to help." where you are to mm-hmm. having to not to having your needs met perpetually. Mm-hmm. That's how it's and, and 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 that's exactly what I mean. It's great that you use the word need because finding out the reason why we don't find out the needs is because we don't have the conversation. Now here's here's an example of how that point is driven on. I was I was walking out of the cannabis store. So I was mm-hmm. buying Week and I left mm-hmm. the cannabis store. Right on the side of the store is, is a is, is a man who smells like piss. He's he's he fell down, and he's reaching mm-hmm. up to people as they're leaving out of the store to give them a hand up. Now I think that most people would have helped him up if his hands wasn't dirty and if he didn't smell like piss. I didn't smell him at first. I just seen him reaching his hand up. 
So I, mm. I, I reached my hand out to help him. And when I was helping him up, I can smell this stench. And I immediately changed my mind. But it was too late. He's already in my arms. So right, 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 right. Now I'm trying to find out why do I have to be here? Like, why do I have to be the one holding you up? So I asked him questions. And, it was, and, and those questions were selfish. I asked him, did he have a walker, right? Why do you mm-hmm. have your walker, man? Like, you, you, fall, you fall down, you had your walker. With, well, he says, well, I have cerebral palsy, and a walker wouldn't help me because my, my right hand is messed up and my left leg is messed up. So, like, he's wobbling. And he said, I just need you to help me to the bus stop. As I'm helping him to the bus stop, me and this guy's having a conversation. Now, we're so close that we're, we're intimate. I'm hugging this man, walking mm-hmm. him to the bus stop, and he smells like piss. Mm-hmm. We're having a conversation, and I tell this story to a few more of my friends. One of my friends says, my dad just died, and he has a wheelchair. Why don't we bring that wheelchair to this man? who's at this corner all the time. So like we bring him the wheelchair, he starts to cry and he says, I can get anywhere I need to get now. Man. Now, now I'm not saying that that completely healed all of his wounds, but, but it was a start. And not, not only that, not only that, what we learned was it didn't cost us one cent to get the thing that he thinks he needed the most. Right. So if we are having intentional conversations with people and we're trying to find out what are their needs and how can we attract, how can we attach our values to our to, to the things that 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 we need, we'll find out that our values and our needs are parallel. They're the exact same thing. They are so, and I think for sure. And I think that that is such a metaphor for life, is that we as as Americans everything is always so neat and clean and tidy for us. Mm-hmm. And so what we wind up doing is we, we have the, when you are privileged, which many of us are black and white, right. we have the luxury of looking away from mm-hmm. things that are too nasty that we don't want to see. We don't want to talk about that. We don't want to talk about that. We don't want to use that word because it's triggering and all those things. And I understand certain things can be triggering and, and can bother us emotionally. But at the end of the day, there's certain things that people are dealing with and wrestling with that is real. And when they name those things, when we see those things, we can't look away, man. Like, like we, we got to be willing to smell some people's stench sometimes. We have to be willing to hear, hear them tell their stories and know that in real life, stuff gets real stinky and messy and dirty and grimy and our values if our values remain clean, <laughs> then, then we ain't really use because those values should get dirty from time to time. Those, those values should get our justice is dirty business because justice means, like you said, to close the gap between the poor and justice means to when that that guy who smells like piss reaches his hands up to you, that means I got to reach my hand back out and grab him and walk him to where he needs to go. That's what that's it. That's it. I love that and, man. And, I love it. Man and and. And I'm not special, but if, if we all did that, man, for one day, for one day, mm-hmm. we would completely, because it is, it is very difficult for me to hear your story and not share your story. If I have the means to get you to the place where you need to be, it's very difficult. And I don't care who you are. And all that poverty needs is justice. Mm. 
Golly, bro. So let me let me ask you this one last thing for before I let you go. You grew up, you've told me before, at least in, in some conversations we've had, you grew up poor. You grew up in the hood. Um, and your upbringing was rough. Now today, you are a person who has devoted your life to justice. Mm. Um, how do you get from, because you know, a lot of people who come from your background don't wind up committed to justice. They're just trying to, they just, they, once they get out, they're just trying to survive and make as much money as they can and, 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 and never have to go back to being poor again. Mm. What is it that drives you to continue to be oriented towards justice, caring about justice, caring about other people, uh, from where you came from, man, the cycle the cycle never stops. It, it's it's crazy that that we don't we don't develop an empathy for other people, especially when we've been in the same situation. I think that working um, with, with with babies kind of foster that empathy a little bit more. I don't think that I'm special. I think that I think that my my luxury is being in situations where I have to hear your story. My job mm. makes me have to hear your story. I want to make money. Like, mm-hmm. like I, 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 I want to make mm-hmm. as much money as I, I want to be rich and make as much money as I possibly can. And I want to do it during the work that I'm doing. So while I'm doing this work, I want to be able to hear people. And I think that you and everybody else, once we hear these stories, we're hardwired to, to want to tell that story at the very least. Um, mm-hmm. And once we share that story, somebody's heart is going to be touched by that story. For, for, for most of us, we're hardwired to do something about it. I think that um, I, I think the encouragement is in something that's encouraging about social media is I see a lot of bad stuff, but I also see a lot of good stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, doing the right things, becoming sexy. When I was when I was walking that man from where he was sitting to the bus stop, somebody was filming me do it. I was oh, asking wow. them not to that but they were doing it anyway that's because it's it's sexy i want people to see that, that there was a sexiness about the where i came from the hood it was a sexiness about selling crack i i wanted to sell crack so bad man i would do anything to sell crack back in the days but there was there was things that that stopped me from doing that and those things were sexy i think that if if, if we shine a light on good that it will be it'll become contagious, man. The things that you're doing is hot. You know, those conversations that we're having about Christianity and um and welcoming people like me who are somewhere in the middle of their journey in, in faith, have those conversations with people that say that say they're already there. That's a beautiful, beautiful thing, man. For me, coming out of the gutter, I just want to create the beauty around me. Dang, bro. Golly. Coming out of the gutter, I just want to create beauty around me. Man, all of us have had experiences in the gutter, whether that's emotional, physical, whatever it is, we've had those experiences. And if we come out of that wanting to be to forgive and to show empathy and to create beauty around us, I don't think that a world full of justice is that far away. Okay, so, so- Man, thank you so much, bro, for coming on. Um, I'm going to include a link to uh, people to stay in touch with you. And, and tell us uh, real quickly about the Circles documentary. If, if people want to watch that, how, how do we how do they do that? 
You can go to circlesmovie.com. That'll, that, that'll give you the trailer. And it'll give you all of the dates that we have coming up to show the, to show the film. I think that we're going to tour the film for one more year. And then I think that the producer is going to sell it to um, stars. Okay. He's been, okay. he's been in negotiation with stars. Okay, perfect. Well, dude, thanks so much, man. I totally appreciate you. Absolutely, Brett. So, yeah. <laughs> uh, man, what a story. So much in that hour to think about and process, perhaps even with other people. I, I would encourage you to do that. But thanks for listening. Thanks for um being a, a, a subscriber to the Existential Podcast. If you are a subscriber, if you're not, go ahead and do that today. I don't want you to miss an episode. Thank you to all of you who have rated and reviewed and shared this podcast with your friends. It really, I just really appreciate that. I want to thank Comfort Fit for the music. The song is called Sorry. Thank you, thank you, thank you, Eric Butler, for being uh, my guest on this episode. And thank you all for contending with us, contending for a better world one conversation at a time.